Good morning, everyone, and welcome to worship. It's good to have you all here this morning, uh, especially as we join together as one congregation in one service. A special welcome to those who are visiting with us today. Uh, It's good to have you here in our midst. It is going to take some time for me to uh, piece this together as I'm looking out and I'm seeing people seated side by side that usually don't, and people sitting in different places where you usually don't sit. But it's uh, wonderful to have you here uh, this morning. A special thanks to our musicians today, uh, all coming out, and some special musicians to share with us on your time uh, today. If you have a prayer request you would like to have included in our prayers, uh, there is a green uh, prayer card in the pew rack in front of you. You can fill that out, and our ushers will be collecting those midway through the service so that your request will be included in our congregational prayers. Out in front of the church this morning in the courtyard, uh, you will see uh, some resources that are left over from the earthquake preparedness uh, presentation that took place last Tuesday evening. Uh, There are lots of helpful uh, resources out there, uh, including in addition to the earthquake preparedness, emergency preparedness. So please uh, check them out and help yourself this morning. Uh, Thank you to the Emanuel Lutheran Church Trust Fund and especially to Christina Colstead, who was our presenter uh, last Tuesday. You are all invited to stay after uh, the service today. We will be having a youth recognition uh, day and a celebration of learning. Uh, We will begin serving our lunch around quarter till noon So not that long after the service concludes, uh, we invite you to stay, to share lunch, and to rejoice uh, over the youth of our congregation. Uh, That time also includes a question-answer time uh, with our confirmands. They are so excited about this day. (laughs) And I, I promise it will be so much nicer than it was for me when I went through this experience. Uh, which is why I want to make it nice for the kids. Uh, Please check the announcement page uh, with more information there regarding scholarship uh, application deadline today. Uh, An altar guild appeal, please read that. Uh, We need your help there. Volunteer drivers uh, here in Saratoga and our congregational meeting, which will take place next Sunday again at noon. This coming Saturday is our men's breakfast. It takes place at Effie's Bar in Campbell. We do meet in the bar, uh, but we have a good time, even at 8 o'clock in the morning, no alcohol involved, except maybe afterwards. That's a different story. Um, Also, later that that day in the evening, uh, our own Mikey Day will be down at 88 Keys um, Cafe. Is that what it's called? cafe, uh, restaurant uh, in Morgan Hill. Uh, He starts around 7 o'clock, so if you want to come and enjoy some good music, many in our congregation have joined in that. Uh, 88 Keys Restaurant in Morgan Hill, starting at 7. And if you'd like to come early and order some good food, you can do that as well. Uh, The owner of 88 Keys is one of our church members, Mark Gaetano. Uh, We will remember Mark in our prayers this morning. He had knee replacement surgery uh, early last week. And uh, as I spoke to him on the phone uh, yesterday, things are going very well. 
and hopes to be back in worship next week. One last announcement, and that is uh, this coming Friday, uh, we have a special anniversary in our congregation. Monica and Bob Belizzi will be celebrating 60 years together. I hardly could believe that when I saw that. <laughs> so congratulations, Monica. And uh, God continue to bless the two of you in your marriage. Uh, we'll remember you uh, in our prayers also this morning with Thanksgiving. Now, our, uh, our service begins today with uh, our call to worship from Psalm 96. I invite the congregation to stand. In the 96th Psalm, the psalmist says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, <clears throat> proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Almighty God, we gather together on this day as one congregation to sing to you with one voice, a voice of praise for your goodness, your grace, for the salvation that you have brought to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray that all that takes place here this morning would, would serve to bring you glory, to praise your name, and that we would hear your word and be empowered for the mission you have called us to. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice indeed. Our opening song is called, We Come to Say Thank You. You'll find words on page three. The choir is going to start us off. Uh, they're going to sing for a while, warm us up, so to speak. And then if you focus your attention over there, you will see Elizabeth turn toward us. That's when we come in and join in with the choir. We will sing through uh, what you find on page three twice.
congregation may be seated. And the children are invited to come forward at this time for the children's message. Good morning, children. How's everybody doing today? Okay, guys, so as you know, today is our celebration of learning. It is our youth recognition day. Hello, good morning. So instead of following the lesson, like I'm supposed to, I decided that what I really wanted to talk about as I've been thinking about the youth, as I've been thinking about the children, I wanted to talk about Jesus as a child. We all know the story of Jesus. We all know he was born where? Do you guys know? Jesus was born Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, yes, but where? Well, Christmas, maybe. Somewhere. You guys don't know? In a barn? No, the town, the place, the city. Mm, you guys, okay, we'll talk about it. So, but we don't really talk about why. No, we don't really know until Jesus is an adult, right? And we talk about him on the cross, and we know, like, where he was born, what he you know, what his life was kind of like a little bit, his miracles, but we don't really talk about the in-between. We don't really talk about him as a baby or as a child. Yes? You have a Jesus Bible? Okay, well, maybe we'll look it up later. How's that? <laughs> so I want to talk first about, what does it say? Somebody read it for me. Baby. So Jesus' life as a baby. So he was born in Bethlehem. Oh, oh, did you say it? Okay, say it louder next time. So we know Jesus was born in a barn. He was not like a prince. You know, it wasn't very fancy. It was very lowly. But what happened after that? Does anyone know? When he was your age, what was he doing? He didn't play video games, that's for sure. Anything else? You guys want to take a guess at what he was doing? He wasn't a couch potato. He didn't eat potato chips. We know what he didn't do. Okay, let me tell you what he did when he was your age. Okay, well, more like a baby, more like your age. So eight days after Jesus was born, mom and dad took him to Jerusalem. And you're supposed to show your baby to the temple officials. That's what you did. You, like, registered your baby. This is how, you, uh, how they make the census, how they count who's, who's there. So they take him to the temple in Jerusalem, and all these people, all these strangers come up to him. So as a baby... People came, there was one man named Simeon who came up and said, I have waited my whole life to see you, the Lord. So even as a baby, he was recognized as, as God. People knew him, okay? So as young as Eliana, people were like, you are special, and I know this. And people recognized him everywhere. Okay, so after Jerusalem, there were two strangers that came up to him in Jerusalem. Okay, so after they leave... Uh, an angel comes to dad, Joseph, and says, uh, take your family to Egypt because Herod wants to kill your baby. So as a baby, people are also out to get him. They want to kill him. So they don't go. They don't go home. Uh, then after so much time, so now he's, what's next after a baby? What's next? Child. A big kid. Yeah, okay, so as a big kid, 
An angel comes back and says, okay, now it's safe. You can go back to Israel because Herod has died. He's not after you anymore. So they do. So they move around a lot. I think this is a cool thing about Jesus is how many of you guys have ever moved? Like you didn't live in the same house that you were, yeah, you guys have moved? Have you moved? You moved houses? You had more than one? I think that's cool. Jesus did too. He moved around as a kid and quite a lot actually because he was super special and also because people were out to get him. So I think that's pretty cool. Okay, so he says, move back to Israel. So they do. Then later, what do we have here? This is a special number because this is the only time that I think we really know like Jesus' age and what's happening. So is there anybody in here who's 12? I know you guys are very close. I know the 13 and we got some 11s. Okay, so think about when you were 12 or as you're nearing 12. Okay, this is what's happening in Jesus' life almost around the same age as some of you guys. Okay, so they're in Jerusalem. They go back every year for these festivities. So they're in Jerusalem and it's time to go home, and mom and dad think that Jesus is with them, because they travel in a group, okay? They travel in a group, and they're like, oh, where's Jesus? We don't know. He's probably in the group, so let's go home. So this big, imagine everybody in here, imagine we're all traveling back to where we live, okay? We're, we're on a vacation. So we're all traveling, and mom and dad think, oh, Jesus is somewhere in the crowd, so let's just go. So they pack up and they leave. And after a day of traveling, okay, now Jesus is 12, remember this. After a day of traveling, they're like, yo, Jesus, where are you? And he's not in the crowd. So mom and dad turn around. Have any of you ever been lost? Like you didn't know where mom and dad were? I know. I've been there in Walmart, actually. So uh, quite often, actually, too. Um, So Jesus, his parents are freaking out. They don't know where their kid is. And he's 12, okay? He's kind of your age. They're like, where is our son? So they turn around, and they travel back, and after three days, three days, guys, okay, I know you can get lost in Walmart, and maybe you're lost for like half an hour, but for three days, this 12-year-old was on his own, and they find him back in the temple, and they ask him, they say, Jesus, why would you do this to us? And he, like a typical almost teenager, goes, where else would I be? He literally, he like almost sass his mom, and he's like, Why would you think I would be anywhere else other than my father's house? And they find him asking questions and listening to the leaders and the teachers for three days. This is what he was doing. So when you're 12, okay, when you guys were 12 and you guys are approaching 12, imagine being on your own for three days in this room just listening to all of us talk about Jesus. Whoa, think about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's what's happening for Jesus as a child. And I think that is so cool because we don't talk about him. We talk about his miracles. One second. We talk about him as an adult and we talk about his birth, but we don't talk about the in-between. And today we're celebrating you guys. At your age right now, we're celebrating what you know about Jesus and your journey to find him. And I think it's so cool that we can look at the Bible and find what it was like as he was a child too. So today when we go into our celebration of learning, I want you guys to think about that. I want you guys to think about, hey, Jesus was my age once. I think that's so cool. Okay, will you pray with me? Dear God, thank you for making me so special. Thank you for your son who was just like me. Help us to love each other 
and to have fun and to grow together. In you, in your name I pray. Amen. I invite the congregation to stand as we continue with the prayer of confession and word of forgiveness. We do come together this morning in the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most merciful God, we confess before you and in the presence of this community that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you, and for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue with the Kyrie on page four. response to the hungry and the 
Almighty God, maker of the world and all things in it, you are never far from each one of us. Open our ears to hear your word this morning. Assure us that even as you came to earth and made your dwelling among us in Jesus, your beloved Son, so you abide with us still. We ask this in the name of him in whom we live and move and have our being. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The congregation may be seated. Our next song, Just As I Am, is a familiar hymn in a new contemporary fashion. In shackles and chains, I came to your door. And fell on the floor of mercy. Like a I stood, guilty I was. I couldn't hide my shame. Just as I am, just as I am, Jesus, you welcome me. Took me in, I'll never be the same again. My life held in your hands, just as I am. You saved the place, amazing grace. You came all the way to meet me, carried me home with a ring and a roll, through your loving arms around me, just as I am, just as I am, Jesus, you took me in I'll never be the same again my life held in your hands just as I am 
Our first reading from God's Word is from the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning at verse 16. And the reading begins on page 1161 in the Red Bibles. In this passage, the Apostle Paul addresses those living in Athens. Paul has carefully observed their ways and now speaks to their deepest spiritual longings as he bears witness to God's action in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 31. The city Paul was waiting for them in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this blabber trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him, brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the greatest and latest ideas. 
Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as he needed anything because he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day where he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. Here ends our first reading for today. Our next selection is from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. And this selection begins on page 1272. In this passage, the Apostle Peter encourages Christians to follow Jesus fully as the Lord of their lives. Suffering may come even when they've done nothing wrong, but they're to remain steadfast and bear witness to Jesus by their gentle, respectful words and by the way they bear up under hard times. 1 Peter chapter 3 Verses 13 through 18. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer what, for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Here ends our second reading. Holy Gospel for this Sunday, according to St. John, the 14th chapter, beginning with the 15th verse, page 1,129. The Holy Gospel according to St. John. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Please be seated as we continue with our next hymn, number 294 in the green hymnal, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.
dearly beloved of God, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, Jesus prayed that his followers would all be one. And so we are today as our two congregations, which is really what we have here at Emmanuel, have come together to sit side by side and to worship. I think God is smiling down upon us as we join in our attempt this morning to open up to new ways of worship, to sing a new song to the Lord, and to step a bit outside of our comfort zone to worship our God together. Evangelism is at the heart and center of the message for today. Evangelism is by no means a popular word. To some, it's frightening. To others, the word itself and the thought is offensive. It is, however, a part of the name of the denomination to which we belong. And the first part of our name to boot, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. If you have forgotten the year that we started worshiping together in this denomination, our young confirmands will remind you at our luncheon later today. Our church administrator, who will be celebrating 18 years of ministry in our midst this coming Tuesday, told me that we Lutherans are making yet another attempt to reclaim the word evangelism and to redeem our name. Good news, after all, is what the word evangelism means. So if what we're really talking about is good news, we should take great care to hold it fast, to preserve it, and to do our news is that God to share it with others. For in the end, the good news is that God is almighty and that God has done something truly great for you, for me, and for this world God so loves. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you for the marvelous opportunity we have to come together in this place to join together as one body to worship and praise your holy name. We thank you for the awesome salvation that you have brought about for us in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray that our minds and our hearts would be open to properly assess what this means for us, to hold it dear and sacred, and to do our very best as you equip us to share this good news with the people you bring into our lives. We pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you should have been given, as you walked into church this morning, a sermon outline. I would encourage you, invite you to pull that out now to follow along. It's a very simple outline this morning. But I thought with the, the message today, it would be good for you to write some things down, jot a few notes uh, to take with you when you leave. 
there at the top of the sermon outline, you have a scripture, a verse from our second reading this morning, where the Apostle Peter writes that we should always be ready to make a defense for the hope that is within us. Peter is talking about sharing the faith. He's talking about evangelism. And the Apostle Paul is arguably the greatest evangelist of all time. And Paul exemplifies for us this morning, as he interacts with the people of Athens, some practical lessons for us to learn as we seek to be effective evangelists. Now the context this morning is that Paul is in the city of Athens, that great city in Greece. Before Paul got to Athens, he was in two other cities, Thessalonica and Berea. In both of those places, as Paul is ministering to the people there, he receives mixed response. Some of those who are listening to the message come to faith in Jesus, and they become disciples of Paul. But others are against what Paul is preaching. Some of the Jews in the synagogues rose up against him, formed a mob, created a riot. In fact, the Jews in Thessalonica were so upset with Paul that they followed after him when he went to Berea about 45 miles away. And there in Berea, they incited people to rise up against Paul. So supporters of Paul take him from Berea, take him down to Athens, and that's where we find him in Acts chapter 17. Paul is there alone in Athens. He is waiting for his partners in ministry, Silas and Timothy, to join him. But while Paul is waiting, he uses his time wisely. Paul recognizes that as a servant of God, as one who has been called to bear this good news of Jesus, he is never off duty. And guess what? Neither are you. You are God's man. You are God's woman 24-7. Your kids are watching. Your co-workers are listening. The world is needing you. Paul uses his time well and wisely. There in the sermon outline, you see the verse, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he walked around and looked carefully. As we look at these eight points of effective evangelism, I think this will help us in our own work. First of all, Paul does his homework. That's what the first H is for. Paul does his homework. He listens. He sees that the city is full of idols. How does he know this? He's looking around. And he's studying it carefully. He walks around with his eyes and his ears wide open. If you and I are to be effective evangelists, it means that first of all, we are to be students of our subject, that is our faith, our God, our Lord, of the context in which we find ourselves, and subjects of those with whom we are going to share our faith. It all begins by being observant, being a good listener, paying attention to what God 
will bring before you. And you can be sure that God will. Paul does his homework. We read, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Paul is genuinely interested in the people. Paul is emotionally connected. He's moved by their plight, and he's deeply distressed by what he sees. These Athenians, they matter to Paul. The word here in number two is motivation. Paul is like Jesus. He felt compassion for the multitudes. As Jesus looked at the multitudes and saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so Paul grieves over these people in Athens. He grieves over what they are missing in their lives. It's been said before that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. In any form of evangelism, love has to be the motivating factor. People are never a project. They're beloved creations of a caring God. God loves you just as you are. You are not a project. You are not simply an instrument God wants to use to get his work done. God genuinely loves you. So walk in his steps and seek to be a good news sharer. Motivation is the second point. Paul the Apostle is motivated by the love of Christ. Thirdly is the letter A, which represents the word apostolic. Apostolic. This morning, as I mentioned the sermon title to someone, Apostolic Advice for Effective Evangelism, the response I received was, whoa, are there PhDs out there? I want to bring this, uh, I want to communicate this easily to you. It doesn't have to be complicated. Apostolic. Paul is a true apostle. As you see the verse right up above, number three, he reasoned in the synagogue as well as in the marketplace. Paul meets the people where they are at. In the synagogue, the religious people, and out in the public, in the marketplace. He goes to where the people are. He doesn't expect them to go to him. Evangelism is not as much about bringing people to church as it is meeting people on their own turf, bringing church to them, if you will. When Jesus gives his great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, go. Go and make disciples. And we confess in the Nicene Creed that we are one whole built and apostolic church. Church that is built on the confession of the apostles, but also an apostolic church is a church that goes out, a church that is sent out on a mission. What is the mission of the church? Well, some of it takes place right here on Emmanuel's campus. Some of it takes place right here on Sunday morning. But you all can do what I cannot. For you go out into the neighborhoods, you go out into the communities, 
and you multiply many times over anything that is done here in this space. We are the church together, and Jesus bids us go. Let us fan the flame of our apostolic mission. Number four is the word persistent. Persistent. We read in Scripture that he reasoned with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as with those who happened to be there in the marketplace day by day. Paul is persistent. He continues the conversation day after day. He reasons with the people. He engages with them. He hears them out, and he doesn't give up. He is tenacious. He's determined because the mission matters. Number five is the word respect. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Do you hear these words of Paul? He commends them for being very religious. He speaks to them respectfully. And by doing so, Paul gains a hearing. Now, of course, their devotion is misplaced. The people there in Athens were idolaters, and worshiping anyone or anything other than the true God is devotion that is misplaced, for it will never in the end benefit the devotee. But Paul is respectful, contrary to a man by the name of Brother Jed, who came to my college campus in 1985 and got out in the middle of the quad and began ranting and what he called preaching. Everyone within earshot of Brother Jed heard the message that they were sinners, that they were going to hell. Paul is not like this. Paul is respectful with his audience. The conduct of our conversation, our spirits, our demeanor, is just as important as the content of our conversation. We are to speak the truth, but to speak the truth in love. Respect is number five. In number six, we have a longer word. It begins with an A, accommodation. Accommodation. For in him we live and move and have our being, Paul says. And if you notice carefully, those words are in quotes. Paul speaks in words his audience understands. I was re, re, as I was watching uh, Alyssa give her children's sermon, uh, it was remarkable to me the way she interacts with the kids, speaking their language. This is what Paul did. Paul accommodated himself to his audience. How was he able to do this? It all goes back to number one. Paul does his homework. He knows they're philosophers. He's got Epicureans and Stoics out in the audience. He quotes their own philosophers. Eratus, who was around in the third and fourth centuries BC. He was a Greek poet much admired, a Stoic philosopher, somebody probably you and I know very little, if anything, about. 
And perhaps Paul didn't either. But as he was going around and examining what he found there in Athens, he came to know about this guy. Perhaps he saw a quote someplace and he used it in his presentation. These words from uh, Eretus Eretus, um, are used in an invocation to Zeus. In him we live and move and have our being. Paul connects with the people using their own language. Much like Martin Luther was intent on communicating to his own audience, and it moved him to translate the Bible from Latin into German, that the people could better understand it. Number seven, T stands for touch point. Paul sees an altar that is dedicated to an unknown God. And he tells them, what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Paul finds an opening, a touch point. And how is he able to do this? Again, Paul is observant. He listens. And he has God's spirit there to guide him. When he finds this altar to an unknown God the touch point emerges. He sees that the people are open-minded, that they have room in their conception of God uh, to grow, that they have not figured everything out, that they recognize God is bigger than they can put words to, bigger than they can box up and package. And it is there that Paul starts. As he preaches about God who made everything, heaven and earth, that God does not dwell in temples made by hands, that God is self-sufficient, he does not need to be served by anyone, and that every human being and every nation comes from this one God. During my ministry here at Emmanuel, I have felt God's call to minister to families who have had someone die, who want some sort of religious service, but have no home church, They don't have their own pastor. I've officiated at many funerals where I did not know the person who had died. One major task before me then was how I would speak in a meaningful way to those who were gathered. Now, of course, the heart and soul of the message was centered on the crucified and risen Christ. Even as we read of his wonderful promise In Holy Scripture today, because I live, you will live also. But how can I speak of the deceased? How can I make the sermon personal? I meet with the person's family. I listen and I learn. And as I listen, I listen for that touch point. And almost always, It emerges. As the family tells me about the person who died, as they tell me about their hobbies, their life experiences, their character traits, something they share will rise up and will remind me about Jesus. And when that touch point comes into view, the sermon pretty much preaches itself. All I have to do is open up my mouth and speak it touch point. 
Paul does his homework. He looks to see how he can connect with his audience. And finally, in number eight, Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Paul's central message is Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised. It is a message of justice and grace. Paul does not get derailed by politics, philosophies, or ideologies. The content we have is in and of itself interesting. We have good material to work with. It is good news, after all, and it is good news for all people. Everything else is just cheap imitation, inadequate replacement, empty idolatry, and will not deliver on our deepest human needs. Heart is number eight, the central message of the apostle. In conclusion in, to Paul's work in Athens, as it was the same in Berea and in Thessalonica before it, Paul keeps his head up, which is not to mean that he is arrogant, but he is not perturbed that some do not listen or some do not accept what he has to share. For almost always, there is a mixed review. Paul is not dissuaded by this. He learns to do better, not to become discouraged, disheartened, or to give up. I've got to tell myself this just about every Sunday. Even my greatest sermons, which I preach, of course, week after week, in all seriousness, the temptation to become discouraged and disheartened is very real. It reminds us of the great dependency we have on the Spirit of God, who sustains us and who supplies all that we need to be about God's kingdom work in the days that are allotted to us. May God be glorified in our midst, in our apostolic mission. May God's kingdom come to us, in us, and through us. And may you experience this week the great joy of sharing your faith and the hope that is within you. For there are many who are longing for that same hope, the hope that can be found only in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The next song we will sing, titled Hymn in Christ Alone, is one of my favorite songs that we sing at our contemporary service. Uh, I think you'll be able to catch on to this very easily, and as you do so, I invite you to join in. Please stand as we continue. Strength, my song, 
this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, Fullness of heaven in helpless pain, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin. Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We continue with our prayers.
Let us pray for the whole people of God and Jesus Christ and for all people according to their need. Gentle God of all creation, embodiment of love and grace, we glorify your name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Be with the leaders of all nations, instill in them a quest for your justice and peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Protect and sustain our church leaders and pastors, here as well as in the greater church, that they and their flocks may be agents of your love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our <clears throat> prayer. Lord, we thank you for our young people. As this academic year draws to a close, we pray that it may be a step toward a life that is valued by their peers and fulfilling to themselves. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we contemplate in thankfulness all those upon whose sacrifices our liberty and security are founded. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Give us peaceful homes, Lord, where love in your image is learned and practiced. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Be with those of us, Lord, for whom this is a time of difficulty. Sustain the unemployed, heal the broken relationships, support those under stress, and give all a vision of a life lived in your service. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We thank you, Lord, for the life full of grace you have given us. May we live it to honor your name. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Almighty God, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, we thank you for this gift of life. And as we seek to make our way through this world and face many challenges, so we place ourselves in your hands this day. We pray this morning for Jacqueline Ishu as she begins a new round of radiation, that you would sustain her in these days. We lift before you Dorothy Williams, Paul Spitzen, Dick Dickinson, Blake Gray, Bob Kittleson, Cindy Begeman, and Mark Gaetano. We pray for Sophie Cheng, that you would bring her healing. We pray for James Winsel, that you would help him and guide him to a new job. We pray for young Hikaro Yamamoto, that you would still the fever within her. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. This morning as well, we pray for Loretta Brewer and Robert Heiler. We give you thanks for Bob and Monica Belizzi as they celebrate 60 years of married life this coming Friday. Bless and keep them in your care. Draw them close to one another as you draw them close to yourself. We thank you for Wendy Dando as she celebrates her birthday. Continue to bless her and open her eyes to your amazing grace. We pray for Christ the Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and for past Pastor Amanda Trushinsky for the ministry taking place within and beyond their church walls. And this day we remember the family of David Dal Porto and the family of Don Richardson, that you would be with them and support them during this time of grief and loss. We pray for Mayor Mary Lynn Bernald and the Saratoga City Council and the work they did do in this community. 
And finally, O Lord, we lift to you those who bear your word in foreign places, for the Stone family in Turkey, the Pigsleys in Croatia, the Wicks in Cartagena, and the Shalhubs in the Middle East and North Africa. Sustain them in their work and bless them according to your goodness. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. It is into your hands, O Lord, that we commend all for whom we pray. With these spoken prayers and the silent prayers of our hearts, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you. I invite you to turn to your neighbor and to share God's peace.
Let us pray. We offer with joy and thanksgiving what you have first given us, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, signs of your gracious love. Receive them for the sake of him who offered himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now here in this place we remember that in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again after supper, Jesus took the cup and gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. We join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Congregation may be seated. This morning uh, at the Lord's table, we invite forward all who believe and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus is the host of this meal, and all are welcome here. We will commune by intinction today. You will receive a wafer. You're invited to reserve that to dip into the wine or the grape juice which follows and to receive both elements at the same time. You're invited to come forward at the direction of the ushers uh, down the center aisle and make your way back to your seats by way of the outside aisles. Please come.
And now the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ bless you and keep you in his grace now and forever. Amen. Please stand for the close of our service. pray. Pour out upon us the spirit of your love, O Lord, and unite the wills of those whom you have fed with one heavenly food. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our closing hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, let's join together.
worship this morning. It's good to have you all here with us. Uh, you're invited to stay after uh, in the courtyard for a time of fellowship. I think you can already smell the barbecues going. If you can stay uh, for lunch and our youth recognition time, uh, you are more than welcome. Let us go in peace and serve the Lord. And one last thing, next week, two services, 9 and 1045. Hope to see you then. Thank you.